we are going to start a series today. We've already said it a few times. No fun and all joy. All joy, no fun. It doesn't matter how you say it. It's got the same exact meaning. And um, the premise is there's so many things that we do uh, that are not any fun at all. Uh, but there are things that we just need to do, that we have to do, and we know that if we continue to do them, uh, there's joy waiting for us if we can just stay steady. Now, if you did not bring your Bibles, I've got really, really good news for you. Everybody grab your cell phone. Go ahead, grab your cell phone. Grab it, grab it. We've never done this before. You're going to be so happy that you did not leave your cell phone at home. Everybody got it? Wave it at me. Let me see it. Let me see it. Now, go to your app store and download the Celebration Church app, everybody. Absolutely. Uh, all you have to do is just, uh, you can find, doesn't matter what kind of cell phone you have, type in Celebration Church TW. If you only put Celebration Church, you can still find it, but TW brings it right to the top. Make sure you say okay to pushing notifications. Uh, we've got our sermon series on there. Uh, we've got the Bible on there. We've got reading plans on there. You can read the whole Bible in a year. Uh, you can sign up for things like life groups, growth track, dream team. You can go to the more tab uh, and you can see our, our Twitter, Facebook, our website, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, go ahead and download that. I'm sure you'll be glad that you did. Uh, babies are a good example of all joy and no fun. Um, they, uh, they make you earn that title, parent, don't they? Um, There's kids, all joy and no fun. Uh, a lot of us where, where we work might be all joy, no fun. Um, you know, the, the eating plan you might be on, all joy, no fun. There's so many things. Particularly, though, the case study that we want to unpack is when Jesus was on his way to the cross to be crucified for our sins, that was no fun at all. Zero fun. I mean, he went through anxiety attacks that were so intense that beads of sweat would literally pop through his, his veins like drops of blood. It was no fun at all, but there's this scripture that reads in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He had to break through that quitting point. There's so many quitting points. Um, if you run marathons or um, if, if, you, if you work out or if you're doing anything good, oftentimes there's a quitting point that you've got to bust through, you've got to break through. And, um, you know, when, when there's, you're not having fun, quitting seems like an ap absolute strong option that you should consider. But when you recognize the joy waiting for you, it gives you strength in the present. And uh, when Jesus was with his disciples right before uh, he went to the cross, and over the next six weeks, we're just, this series is going to last six weeks, all joy, no fun. It's going to lead us right up to Easter Sunday, so it's going to be a lot of fun. 
But uh, in this scene in John chapter um, uh, 13, Jesus is with the disciples. He's having his last supper. And three things happen while he's eating with them that show us a way to have joy in the middle of seasons that are not fun. Uh, rather, rather than reading it to you, why don't you read it when you get home, but take a look at the screens and we'll show it to you via video. It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel round his waist. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Do not wash only my feet, then. Wash my hands and head, too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves, except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. The first earmark of three that I want to point out, the first earmark of joy uh, that I want to point out, there's three of them, is that joy has landmines attached to it. 
And the reason why I say that is you'll notice in the scripture it says, and we heard it in the video just now, it was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas. See, Judas was one of the 12 disciples that betrayed Jesus. And before Jesus ever showed up for dinner, Satan had already gone and prepared a landmine. To set Judas up, to begin to work on his heart, to betray Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up to have this moment, Satan had already created a landmine to try to destroy the moment. What does a landmine do? Landmines are, are moments or seasons that shake or destroy our faith. They shake it. They destroy it. When, when something good is supposed to happen, sometimes the enemy will go ahead and lay a landmine to destroy it. Sometimes it's through relationships that we have, like Jesus had. There's, and, and usually it's a relationship that we're endeared to. They hurt us. They disappoint us. Um, and it shakes our faith. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you pray for someone in particular and things aren't working out and it feels like the prayers aren't taking place and, or maybe they've hurt you and you don't understand how God would ever allow this to take place. Oftentimes that whole moment is set up as a landmine to shake and to destroy your faith. Oftentimes it's not a person, it's a, it's a season, uh, it's an event. It's something that takes place uh, where you lose your job or you back up and, and you just say, I don't understand God, so I'm just going to back off. I'm just going to leave. And, and the enemy, from the moment Jesus started to cultivate his ministry, the enemy would show up. He showed up while he was fasting for 40 days. The enemy showed up and tried to derail him. And lay landmines for his faith. What's interesting though is if you've ever gone through seasons like that. You know how weak you feel. When tough things, hard things, bad things, disappointing things, discouraging things. You know what that feels like. I want to say this. That the Lord knew that we would feel brittle and weak and discouraged. When landmines blew up or blow up. He knew that we were going to feel that. And that's why he said in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 3, he says, I will not crush. And he, he thinks of something that is incredibly brittle and weak. He says, I will not crush the weakest reed. And then he thinks of something even weaker than an old dead stick. He says, or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. What is he saying here? He's saying, I, I see every single moment of your life, every, every moment, even the moments that you think nobody else is paying attention to, I see those moments. And, and there's moments where you feel like every good thing is just dying. Now, some of you are not in this particular season right now, but you've been in this season before and you know what it feels like. Some of you are in the season right now where 
things that you love, it just feels like it's dying. And the Lord says this, you've, you've stepped on a landmine and you're weak. And he knows that an old stick can break so easily. It's one of the weakest things around. And he says, I know you've stepped on a landmine, but I am not going to let you break. I know you feel like you're breaking. I know you feel like all hell is breaking loose. But I am your shield. I am your guardian. And I am not going to let anything happen to you that's going to break you. And then it's so fascinating because the Lord thinks of something even more tender than a stick. You see this candle right here. You're not going to be able to see it from where you're at, but you'll know what I'm talking about. You know when you blow out a candle, there's like this little ember that's burning in there still. You can still see the ember in the wick. Well, that's about as weak as anything we can ever find. In fact, if I just go like this, I can put the ember out. He says, some of you, you're so weak, you're even weaker than what an old stick would feel like. You're, you're, you're this weak because you've stepped on a landmine. You are in the middle of a season where it is so incredibly difficult and so incredibly hard. This is what Jesus was in the middle of. You know what's interesting? The Bible says not to become weak in well-doing. In other words, even though you're doing the right thing, you can still get weak and tired. Even though you're doing the right thing, you're weak and you're tired. And so the Lord backs up and he says, look, I see that you're doing the right thing. I see that you're in the middle of a season where your faith is being stretched like never before. I see it. Jesus was in it right then. The enemy laid that landmine before he ever walked through the door. He says, look, I, I see it, but you will not break. Everyone say, I will not break. I will not break. You know, there's a, a great scripture. Uh, I'm sorry, a great song that the team sings. Um, it says that I will not be shaken. It's in the book of Psalms. It's I will not be shaken. He will allow wind to come, but he won't let you be shaken. So that's the first earmark is that there's landmines to joy. Joy doesn't come easy. You don't just wake up in the morning. <sighs> I love my life. I love my life. How are you? I'm doing so awesome. Why? Because I love my life. Typically that doesn't happen. If you know anybody like that, check them into some padded room. I love my life and I love you. I'm just so full of joy. That Joy doesn't typically come that way. Because joy has landmines in the process of striving for it. But here's the thing that Jesus did in the midst of all of it. Is that Jesus, in, in John chapter 13, verse 3, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that had come from God and, would re, and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So here Jesus is in this room. He recognizes that his best friend is turning his back on him. He's recognizing that this is the most difficult season he has ever 
been in in his life. He's going to die in a matter of days in the most gruesome death in the history of mankind. He sees all this happening. He sees what I call the landmine. But he backs up and he's got this anchor inside of him. Because not only does joy have landmines, joy also has anchors. And when you find that anchor, it does not matter what is happening to you. You can't be shaken because of what is going on in you. It's something that you have. It's, it, Jesus was basically saying this. I know what God has in store for me. I know. Everything that's happening, I don't like what's happening. But I know that some way, somehow, this is going to work out. It doesn't look like it's going to work, but I know. That is called an anchor. And all of us have got to have an anchor because the one thing that you and I have in common is that Satan hates us. And storms come, like it just comes. It's like the wind. You don't know when it's going to come. You don't know when it's going to stop. And you don't know which direction it came from. You just woke up that morning. It's like, what in the world? But when you have an anchor, a, a degree of faith, you can walk through it and still experience joy. If you're taking notes and you're like, you know, what's the difference between happiness and joy? The, the fun is, I'm sorry, happiness or fun is enjoyment or amusement. When I say uh, no fun and all joy, that means there's no amusement. Have you ever been in a season where like, this is not amusing? <laughs> this is so not cool. This is very, very bad. Um, the definition of joy is feeling great pleasure. So you can feel great pleasure, but be crying at the same time. Have you ever watched people on TV, or maybe you know somebody in your life, they're bawling, and you're like, what's wrong? I'm just so happy. Man, this is why we have problems. We get thrown mixed signals. Ah! Crying. I, and, and men do it too. Do you guys remember when Michael Jordan won the championship at uh, like, number four? He's in the locker room, balling, crying, holding a basketball. <gasps> Snots come. This is Michael Jordan of the Chicago, the greatest basketball. He's crying on the carpet. Why is he crying? Because he's so happy. Hello, are we okay? So joy can trump fun. Joy is deep inside. It's not what's happening to you. It's what's happening in you. And so when you have that anchor, that joy, you can get through seasons and still experience joy. But how does that happen? It happens the same way the English make a glass of tea. Now, I say English. My wife is Canadian. They do the same exact thing. When Texans ask for a glass of tea, we get a big bucket. 
right? It's either sweet or unsweet, and it's huge. If you ask for a glass of water, the glass is this big. If you ask for Sprite, it's this big. If you ask for Coke, it's this big. If you ask for tea, it's this big. That's just how we do it in Texas. But if you say you want tea in England, or if you say you want tea in Canada, what they'll do is they'll bring you a little tea bag. Isn't that crazy? The first time I asked for tea, because I've been in Texas off and on since I was 12 years old, they bring me this, and I'm like, there is a breakdown of communication here. <laughs> they bring you this, and you get to work. And see, that's the problem right then and there. We're getting off on the wrong foot because when I buy the tea and I tip you afterwards, I'm assuming I'm not doing any work. This is all, that's all I'm doing. But they bring the tea. And so here's the thing. This is how you can do tea. You can do tea one or two ways. You can be a dipper. Does anyone here make tea like this? You know, it's a dipper. You dip. You're being very conscious of how much tea is going in the glass because you don't want too much, but you don't want too little either. You just kind of dip. And then there's the opposite. Soakers. <laughs> you just soak it in there. Because the more we can get out of that bag, the better. Is there any soakers in here? Any soakers? You, you'll even hold it up halfway and take a spoon and push it against. Right? Push it against and just squeeze it all out. Because the more you can get out, the better. Now, when you're looking at a dipper, it's like, are you all right? If you wanted water, you should have ordered water. But I want tea, give me some tea, and you just soak. Here's the thing. When you need an anchor of faith, when you need your faith to go from an ember to a flame, when you are in the middle of a season and all hell is breaking loose, but you are holding steady and firm, you have been soaking in the presence of God. You have been soaking. You say, I, I didn't realize I was actually soaking. What, what kind of music are you playing in your car? Are you think, you're thinking about the Lord. You're talking to the Lord in your head. You're talking to the Lord in your heart. You're talking to the Lord outside. You're sitting in meetings and you're talking to the Lord in your head. You're talking to Him all the time. Smith Wigglesworth said this one time. He goes, rarely do I pray for one hour. But I don't go an hour without praying. What is that? That means if I'm going to be awake for 12 hours, I'm just going to soak in the presence of God. I'm just going to soak, 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 soak. And slowly but surely, people who soak, you begin to change. You begin to change. Now, what does that soaking do? What exactly is it? It's entertaining the presence of God. It's putting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on Him. Because when you hit a landmine, and you need an anchor in the middle of your landmine. You got to lock your eyes on Jesus and allow the process to take place. Now, let me share this with you. For those of you that are like me, where you look at the, how much faith you have and you go, I wish I had more. I wish it was a lot more. The good news is the only thing that you and I have to do 
is to stay laser focused on him and continue to pursue him and then he takes care of the faith. Watch how this works. In Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it's, it's uh, okay, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, it says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, everyone say initiates, and perfects, everyone say perfects, our faith. So what does initiate mean? Initiate means that he took faith, let's just make this up, the side, the, the size of a mustard seed and he put it in your heart. Who put that in there? God put that in there. He's the one that put it in there. What did you do to receive that? You just looked at him. You put your mind's attention on him and he put that in there. He put it in there. He initiated it. He went, bink, boom, it's in there. Now, this says that he also perfects it, which means he's the one that makes it bigger. He's the one that put it in there, and he's the one that's going to make it bigger. So how is this taking place? You and I are staying laser-focused. We have stepped on a landmine. Ba-boom! The season has come. The season that we have been praying would never come has come. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is about to be crucified. He is in the middle of a landmine. He's got his eyes on the Lord. He's praying in his head. He's praying in his heart. Every time, every time he has an opportunity, he's seeking the Lord. Now what happens when we do that is the Lord takes the seed that he puts in there and he causes it to get bigger. He causes it to grow. Now we can't do this on our own. The only thing we can do is stay laser focused on him. And what will happen in the course of time is you back up and all of a sudden... The metamorphosis has taken place and you didn't even realize it. Did not even realize it. So then at that point, an anchor is developing in your life. You know what David said? He says, I love it when people say, let's go to the house of the Lord. Because it's where my strength comes from. I know we can't come to church 52 Sundays out of 52 Sundays. But I just want to tell you. That when you're going through a tough season, that is not the season to be a dipper. Don't be a dipper. If you want to be a dipper, be a dipper when life is rocking and rolling. Then you can kind of kind of dip with your relationship with God. It, it, I'm not, it's never good to just kind of dip. But if you're going to dip, do it then. If you're going through hell sideways, you've been there so long, you know your way around. Anyone here? You know your way around? It's, I see people with like two hands up and a foot. It, you, you know your way around. You, you can almost tell other people. Let me tell you what's going to happen next, girlfriend. Right? Right? During those times, you don't dip. You don't, you don't dip in and dip out. You, you don't pray sometimes then. You don't come to church sometimes during those seasons. During those seasons, you soak. You soak, you soak. Here's something that some of the guys in this room are going to tease me about. I enjoy country music. I don't know when I started liking it, but I like it. I, I, can, I can go over some Carrie Underwood or some Clint Black, and, and some of the men are like, don't go there, bro, don't. <laughs> but, but I enjoy country music, and so every once in a while, I'll kind of go on a country music marathon, and so I'm listening to country music in my, in my truck, and... and <laughs> 
It's so funny because I have a truck and the only thing that's ever been in the bed is suitcases when we go to the airport. <laughs> it's embarrassing. All right, anyway, so I'm like trying to be like a real cowboy kicker and, and uh, there's nothing's ever been in that truck except leaves that came out of the, out of the, out of the truck. But, you know, it, it's all be listening to country music and, it never, and lo and behold, it happens every time. I'll start missing play and praise and worship music because I'll miss my car being a sanctuary. I'll miss it. I'll miss knowing that it takes me 30 minutes to get from my house to the church. And that was 30 minutes of being in the presence of God. That was 30 minutes where I could have been soaking in the presence of God. The more we soak the stronger that anchor becomes. What is the definition of worship? Worship is putting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on the Lord. That is soaking. And then there's a third characteristic, a third earmark to joy. So first of all, we know that joy has landmarks, uh, landmines. We also know that in the middle of those landmines, there are anchor points. But then here's something else that keeps joy close. Joy has a towel. Jesus looked at the disciples and he said this. He goes, let me wash your feet. And he gets down and he begins to wash their feet. Now, I'm going to go old school a little bit here. Has anyone here ever been in a foot washing service at church before? Raise your hand. Where people just come up with a pan, a pan of, of water, you take your shoes and socks off, and they wash your feet. Well, we're going to do that today real quick. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, 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 oh yeah, excuse me. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm on my way home right now. Um, no, we're not going to do that, but... As a kid, I, I had been in many of these services, and you only have to be in, in one of those services to realize that you need to be the first one in line. Are you with me? Because if you're number 15 and they've been using that same water for 15 guys, you don't even see your feet anymore. It's like... And if you draw the short straw and you're the one doing the washing, it's like... Here's the thing. When you're washing somebody's feet, oh my goodness. It, it is a level, and I'm not talking ladies where you're like, oh, I love to get my feet did every other week. I'm not talking about, you know, and you got people, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. Um, but when you are washing someone's feet, that is one of the most, gosh, servanthood moments. I know I'm butchering this sentence. It's not even proper English, but that, that, that's a level of serving that's most people will never even experience. And so you know what I see in this scripture here is, is Jesus was all God and all man. He was enough man to go, Man, I don't know that I want to be washing your guys' nasty old toes. It's not like they were walking around in Nikes, people. They were walking around in sandals. He was enough man to go, I don't know that I want to do this. But watch this. 
When you begin to take your focus in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a landmine, and you begin to put it on somebody else, you begin to experience a joy that you can only get that way. Sly, are you in the room? You can, I know he was in the first service. I don't know if he's in the second service. Sly's father passed away 48 hours ago. No, or last week. It was last week. Where? Last week? He shows up with breakfast or dinner. Dinner. Shows up with dinner last Wednesday night to the worship team and gives them all dinner. His dad just died. And, of course, the team is like, Sly, what are you doing, man? Like, your dad just died. What are you doing? You know what he said? He said, man, I just had to get my mind off me, man. I had to get my mind off me. I had to get my mind off my situation. I, I just, I... here's Jesus in the worst season that he will ever be in. It is a landmine galore. He's got an anchor point. He knows God is on his side. But the only way that that anxiety, that fear, He's got to shift it. So he shifts it and he begins to serve. And the deeper he got into servanthood, the more fulfilled and joy that he begins to experience. See, oftentimes when we go through seasons that are incredibly painful, we're in, listen to this, I've been there before. I don't have the time to give you examples. But you go into survival mode. You go into, I could almost cry right now. You, could all, you go into survival mode. You only talk to the people that you, after, you absolutely have to. And you only do the things in life that you absolutely have to. And you keep your eye on the clock because you just want to get. You just want to go back home and get back in bed. Survival mode. So I know what I am asking and what I'm mentioning is so incredibly difficult. I know because I'm saying, hey, when it gets really bad, go serve somebody. And you know what you're thinking? Yeah, right. <laughs> I got your servanthood. But remember this. There is a reward attached to that moment there is a reward attached to that moment and the greater the sacrifice the greater the reward you want joy I want joy I've already I've already surrendered that my life isn't going to be happy go lucky every single day I already know that but I'm not willing to let go of joy I'm not willing to let go of the fact that my life can be fulfilling. I, I, I haven't let go of that. I know there's going to be landmines, but I'm going to fight tooth and nail to build myself an anchor. And, and, and I'm also, and I know that you're going to do this as well. Let's find those moments just to touch somebody, to help somebody, to bless somebody. 